All right, um, Ephesians chapter 4, 17. Living as children of light. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard, he heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work and but must work doing something useful with his own hands that me that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up in accord according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Where all the fun is out there in the hall. <laughs> a friend of ours was once on a was once a contestant on a reality TV show. Now uh, we don't we're not particularly into watching reality TV shows at our place. Okay, we watch the X Factor, and uh, we watch The Voice and I think MasterChef as well, but these are relatively tame, aren't they, in terms of the reality TV shows. But we tuned into this particular show because of our friend, and each week we got to know the contestants uh, because the, the cameras were on them all of the time, uh, filming all of their private conversations. And we wondered how our friend would go, uh, what would she be like when others formed alliances against her to vote her off? Uh, what would she be like when people that she was in alliances with betrayed her? And uh, how would she speak about the other contestants? I wonder how you or I would go. I wonder, what if there was a reality TV show about our church? Imagine TV crews filming our lives for a few weeks, uh, your life, uh, following us around in our homes, um, in our workplaces, 
uh, recording what we say, recording what we do, recording how we treat other people, and then uh, broadcasting all of the juicy bits on primetime TV. Would it be worth watching? Or would our lives be so different that uh, there would be just no material for the editors to work with? You know, because there'd be no deceit, there'd be no tantrums, there'd be no foul language, there'd be no gossip, there'd be no immorality. Being a Christian involves being different. Uh, different to the non-Christian world in which we live and which for many of us was our past. The second half of Ephesians, if you care to have that open in front of you, is about the stark difference between living as a non-Christian and living as someone who is a member of the body of Christ. And uh, today's passage is sandwiched by two very important statements. There's one at the beginning and one at the end. Did you notice Alyssa read through to chapter 5 for a couple of verses, didn't she? So the, uh, there are two statements that are like um, bookends which uh, kind of sandwich the, the main part of today's uh, passage. And the first one is right at the very beginning in verse 17, which reads this, it says, Paul says to the Ephesians, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So that's how he starts off. The other statement is right at the very end in chapter 5 verse 1 which reads, Be imitators of God therefore as dearly loved children. So do you see the contrast? Uh, it starts by saying, Do not live like the Gentiles, that is people who do not know God, and it finishes by saying, instead, live as people who not only know God, but imitate God. There's a vast difference. There is a huge difference. Now, Paul uh, begins by describing uh, Gentiles who live without God, what, what that is actually like. And you, you see it in verse 18, uh, where he says that they are darkened in their understanding and they are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance, the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You see that? Futile thinking and hardened hearts. And that's got consequences because in verse 19 he says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now, this describes the world in which these first century Christians lived, but it's a pretty apt description of the world in which we live, isn't it? It's pretty apt. Uh, it, uh, you know, we live in a world where people harden their hearts to God, uh, which means that they've lost sensitivity you know, it's like when you've got a sore and a scab grows over it and you, you put your hand on the scab and, you, can't, and you, 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 you know, you, the scab doesn't feel anything, does it? It doesn't have the nerve endings there. There's, you touch the scab, no feeling. 
And that's the, the idea here. When our hearts are hard towards God, when we are separated from God, uh, when we're ignorant of God's ways, we've got no sensitivity, no feeling towards God. In the, in the Bible, you know how in our culture, when we talk about the human heart, we, it's not just a, an organ that pumps blood, is it? We, we talk about the human heart as, as if that's like the centre of our emotions or the source of our emotions. It's not, but that's how we talk about it figuratively. Uh, in the uh, world of the Bible, the heart figuratively was the, was the seat of your, um, of your volition, of your, your will, your, uh, your desires, who you are. And, uh, and what it's saying here is that uh, without God, we seek our satisfaction by fulfilling our desires without the constraint of a heart that is sensitive to God, a heart that is tender towards God. And if you go down to verse 22, how does, how does Paul describe those desires that we have? Uh, what kind of desires are they? they are, they're deceitful, aren't they? Deceitful desires because they do not deliver what they promise. What they promise is satisfaction... But in the end, what they deliver is difficulties in life and ultimately the judgment of God. So that is what it is to live in ignorance of God, as non-Christians do. But what is the opposite to being ignorant about God? It is to, it's to know God, isn't it? That's the opposite. More specifically, it is to know God. Christ. Now, in verses 20 to 24, Paul then reminds these Ephesian Christians of how it is that they came to know Christ. See, when a person responds to the gospel, it is not just a response of faith, is it? It is a response of faith, but there's more to it. It is faith and repentance. That's the right response to the gospel, isn't it? Uh, in fact, um, remember when Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders when he was in Miletus? It's in Acts chapter 20, verse 21. Uh, when he was farewelling the elders of, of this particular church, uh, he said to them, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's faith and repentance. You know, you can't say, Jesus has saved me, but I'm going to keep on living my life my way, the way I've always lived. Uh, that's as if repentance is kind of like an optional extra. It's not. It's a package deal. It is faith and repentance. And so, having spoken about people ignorant of God with hardened hearts, insensitive to God, giving themselves over to their desires, uh, in verse 22, Paul goes on to say that, uh, that, that to, the gent to the Ephesians that they, they did not come to know Christ in that way. 
That's not how they came to know Christ. It wasn't through disobedience that they came to know Christ. Instead, in verse 22, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful nature, desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so the, the picture that which paint Paul paints here of the Christian life is a life of putting off and putting on. Now, that is in fact what we do when we first come to know Christ. We put off the old, we put on the new. That's repentance. We do it right at the very beginning of the Christian life. What Paul is saying here is, therefore, be what you are. Live according to the calling by which you've been called. Uh, Keep on putting off the old self. Keep on putting on the new self. Keep on being renewed in your minds so that you know what the new self is. It's ongoing. I heard a preacher was talking about a man who uh, was about to retire. And someone said to him, so what are you going to do in your retirement? And his answer was, I'm going to keep on repenting. That's what I'm going to do in my retirement. And that's good because it's expressing the ongoing nature of change in the Christian life. The Christian life is not about accepting who we are. It is a life of changing who we are. Now let's look at some of what some of those changes are. There are in this passage four areas where we are to put off and put on. Uh, First of all, we are to put off falsehood and put on truthfulness. Uh, Verse 25, he says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour for, and this is the reason, for we are all members of one body. Now, we should be truthful in all of our relationships, but specifically Paul has in mind here relationships within the body of Christ, truthfulness within the body of Christ, because truthfulness unites the body, whereas falsehood divides the body. And so lies, half-truths, hidden agendas just pretending to be godly. I think there's something which is incomprehensible about the idea of one part of the, of the body being uh, deceitful to, and untrustworthy towards another part of the same body. I think that's the point that Paul's making here. Now, secondly, we are to put off anger... And we are to instead put on forgiveness. Verse 26. Verse 26. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down whilst you are still angry. And down to verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. 
forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You see the difference, don't you? I mean, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes anger can be righteous anger. Um, Jesus got angry when they turned his father's house into a marketplace. I don't think that's usually our problem. Our anger is often unrighteous anger. Someone has disappointed us. Um, Our pride is wounded. Uh, We didn't get our own way. Do you see what Paul's concern is here? In verse 26, what he doesn't want is he doesn't want the devil to get a foothold. And uh, people who climb mountains know what that means because, you know, if you lodge your foot in a crevice in the in the wall of the, that you're trying to climb, then you can get the leverage to take the next step up and put your other foot uh, in another crevice and uh, gain a foothold so that you can eventually conquer the mountain. Our anger can give Satan a foothold to take the next step uh, in terms of controlling us so that uh, we, we twist hearts, we spread slander, we destroy relationships and all of that in the body of Christ. Now, most of us get upset. Do you get, do you get upset sometimes? I get upset sometimes. Especially when we believe that someone has wronged us. There are godly ways of dealing with it, you know. You know, the first thing to do when uh, you get angry and you think that someone has wronged you, you know what the first thing you should do is? Go and take a look in the mirror. Because you might be the problem. Uh, And if that doesn't fix things... You go and have a chat with the person who you think has wronged you. But remember what we saw in last week's passage, that we are to speak the truth in, what does it say? In love. And I think sometimes we can be pretty spot on with the truth, but not always all that good with the love side of things. Um, My personal opinion, it's just a personal opinion, is that the... The best way of speaking the truth in love to someone who you believe has wronged you is, uh, I think, the good old Aussie way of having a chat over a cuppa. You know what I mean? Look, I'm actually not convinced that emails and text messages are the most loving or most helpful way of uh, telling someone that they have wronged you. they're not personal, are they? Uh, they can be very easily misinterpreted because there's no body language and there's no facial expression. Uh, you know that a huge amount of what we communicate uh, with people uh, is not actually the words, is it? It's, uh, it's the way our body is held. It's the expression on our face, whether we're smiling or frowning, it's tone of voice, it's, it's that kind of thing. A huge amount of what we communicate is non-verbal. 
and, and that actually sets the context for the actual words that we speak. And so electronic forms of communication, like emails and, and text messages and so on, they, they don't allow for interactive clarification when you're raising the issue with the person. The person can't just immediately explain something or say sorry for something. And they can arrive on the other person's device at any time of day or night, irrespective of the circumstances of the person who's receiving them. And when you send off an email or a text like that, you just don't know the context in which it's been received. It's just my opinion, but uh, I think that expressing negative issues with a view towards forgiveness, with a view towards love, with a view towards reconciliation, it's best done where possible in person. We shouldn't be like the world in this. And I've heard atrocious stories of um, people texting their, uh, their fiancé to say the engagement's off. <laughs> uh, stuff like that. People being sacked via email when a person could have actually walked into their office and spoken with them. We mustn't allow the world uh, to infiltrate us in that respect. We've got to be different. As I, I think Charles Spurgeon once said that the, <clears throat> the reason why the church isn't changing the world is because the world has changed the church. <laughs> We've got to be careful not to be like the, like the non-Christians. Our goal is always to be reconciliation of the relationship. And the means by which that happens is through forgiveness and saying sorry. Right? You see that in verse 32, don't you? In verse 32, that's what Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. That's the goal. And so, thirdly, uh, we should put off greed and put on generosity. Have a look at this in verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. That's a remarkable picture, isn't it? That is a great picture of a person who is, well, they used to be a thief, and now they're a benefactor. <laughs> they used to steal from people, and now they give to people. A bit like Zacchaeus, I, I imagine. You see, the... The heart issue there is the, is the issue of greed. And in this case, the greedy person is a thief who, because of Christ's work in his life, now becomes a hard-working and generous person. Now, what about us? Are you a thief? I don't imagine there'd be too many bank robbers amongst us. But how are you going with your tax return this time of year? Is there a, perhaps an a deduction that you've been claiming that mm, maybe doesn't apply anymore? Think about that. 
We've got to be different to our world. And we can't just say, well, everyone else is doing it. I won't get caught. Well, the tax man, he's got a lot of money. Won't bother him at all. No, no, no. We need to be different. We're to put off greed. And greed, by the way, is not just desiring what you do not have. Uh, it's desiring what you ought not to have. And so instead of desiring what we ought not to have, we are to be people who are generous, people who give away to those who are in need. And the reason for that is because we know that everything that we have belongs to God, that uh, we are just managers of what God has entrusted to us. Now, the fourth area of change is all about our tongues. We're told that we are to put off unwholesome talk and we are to put on words that bless the hearer. Verse 29. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. All right? Now, the word uh, unwholesome, uh, it comes from the Greek word sapros, which means rotten fruit. I mentioned that not to impress you with my poor knowledge of Greek, but rather because I think it's brilliant picture language, isn't it? Rotten fruit. It says, don't let any rotten fruit come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building the other person up. Rotten fruit. Uh, you know, it's, that's the kind of talk that makes the hearer feel sick in their heart. That's the kind of talk that damages the hearer's godliness. It's of no help to their godliness. Now, in chapter 5, verse 4, which is a passage that Peter will deal with next week, uh, Paul says that uh, foul language, um, swearing, uh, foolish talk, dirty jokes, you know what place they have within the body of Christ? No place. No place. But here, uh, in this passage, the unwholesome talk is defined in verse 31, where Paul says that we are to get rid of bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, and malicious talk. Rage. It kind of crushes the person who's on the receiving end, doesn't it? It doesn't build them up, it crushes them. Slander and malicious talk, that doesn't build up the hearer's godliness. Instead, it kind of lures them in. It draws them in to the, to the sin, to the, to the slander uh, against the person who's being slandered. It divides the body of Christ. And brothers and sisters, every time we do that in verse 30, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Because uh, back in last week's passage in verses 3 and 4, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit is always to, to build us up in unity. Remember, there is one body, there is one spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person who experiences emotions, in this case, grief. 
He is grieved when the very work which he is doing, which is to build up maturity and love and gospel-centeredness and unity in the body of Christ, that we go and undo that work. So therefore, in our conversations, we should be thinking in the back of our minds, is what I am saying helpful to the other person's godliness? How can I build this person up? How can I encourage this person in the Lord? We've got to think about that. And when we do, our speech will be radically different. It won't be speech that tears down, or speech that maligns another person, speech that does the devil's work. Which is very different, isn't it, to forming... Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the godly way is very different to forming alliances and uh, spreading grievances uh, like they do on the reality TV shows, on some of them at least. Can you imagine a reality TV show about, about a church? I actually discovered one. Um, it, we saw it on TV overseas. The show, the show was called, and I kid you not, Spiritual Makeover. <laughs> and so it was, it was kind of, it wasn't like Survivor with voting off and all of that sort of thing. It was more like Backyard Blitz. You know that one? So on this particular show, Spiritual Makeover, there was a team of tradesmen and interior decorators and every week they would pick an old run-down church building and without telling the congregation, uh, come Monday morning, the renovation team rolls in and their task, they've got six days to get the big project done for the great surprise for the congregation next Sunday morning. It's about as close to a reality TV show for churches that I ever hope to see. Although I guess our committee of management wouldn't mind actually. <laughs> Could be good. You can put your ideas forward now as to what you'd like the makeover team to do. All right. What about the reality for us though? Are we making progress in the things which really matter? Not the bricks and mortar, not the uh, <clears throat> furniture, but our lives. Are we putting off the old sinful nature? Are we putting on the new nature which is renewed by the knowledge of God so that we become more like Christ? And so I just wonder if you might want to think about um, those areas in your life where you think you're actually still clothed with the old sinful nature. It might be one of the areas that we've talked about today. And bring it before God and ask God to help you to change so that you'd put on new clothes, that you would put on kinds of things that we've been talking about, that you would put on and make it your character to be one who, as Paul says uh, in the chapter 5, verse 2, a person who is more like God, in true righteousness and true holiness. All right, well, that's a lot of things to think about, so let's just pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for 
the model that we have of godliness in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father God, that um, through your spirit that we've been called into your kingdom. And uh, we pray that we would not only be people who put our faith in Christ, that we would be repentant. We pray, Father God, that um, you would be working within us, revealing to us those areas in our life that displease you, that uh, reflect more the character of this world than the character of Christ. And we pray that um, you would give us the commitment and the strength to make those changes, that uh, we would be more godly people, that we would be people who deal with grievances in a godly way, that we would be people who uh, speak the truth in love, that we would be people who are not greedy for things which we ought not to have, but are rather generous towards those who do need to have. And, uh, Father, that, um, that, that we would be people whose uh, speech uh, is speech that does not tear down, but rather builds up and nourishes the person who is hearing what we have to say. Help us in these things we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.